how a painting usually starts because my paintings are very autobiographical. And that's another reason why I had this idea for the show. It's kind of like a visual memoir over these 46 years that I've lived. Something will trigger a memory or a experience that I've had, or even a sensation or something in terms of if I feel claustrophobic or feel stuck or something or feel whatever it is, and I'll start exploring. And it's a lot of kind of free association with the objects. So I'll put objects out. Everything's set up in the studio. Nothing's found. But the hope is that some of these look like they're just found. They're all speaking, yeah, to some sort of experience. And the objects, some of them are sentimental, but some of them are just, it's a color relationship that sparks something. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 293rd episode, I'm excited to be joined by Erin Radeke, who's actually in town for her 46 years exhibition that opens Saturday, July 22nd at Studio Break Gallery in West Chicago from 5 to 8 p.m. So please come on out and see the show if you can. If you can't see it in person, you can always check out all the work that is available on studiobreak.com. Just look for the gallery tab and you can see all of the works there that are available for purchase. And you want to stay tuned because there will be an announcement for a closing reception and some alternative times to stop by and see the show if you can't make it for the opening. As you just heard in that introduction, Aaron is a painter, an observational painter, really interested in color relationships, and of course, how that gets tied into memory of objects from the everyday, things that bring us back to these moments, these memories, and we break all of that down coming up in the podcast. Of course, Erin is focused on all types of different observations. These could be interiors, landscapes, still life, and even self-portraits, and we talk all about that in the episode, so stay tuned for that. If you want to see some of the archived work that we talk about, Head on over to AaronRadicke.com and take a look. You can also see what she's up to aside from this show. There's plenty of stuff to check out on Instagram at AaronRadicke. Of course, if you're joining Studio Break for the first time, we're a podcast and site. We feature a bunch of different artists. They come on, they share their work with Studio Break. We have exhibitions. And of course, there's all sorts of great interviews that you can check out on studiobreak.com, as well as an archive that stretches back a number of years. So you've always got something to listen to while you're working away in the studio. And while you can totally check out the episodes and see the artists find links to their websites on studio break you can also subscribe on itunes spotify wherever you get your podcast so be sure to do that you can also find us in social media so be sure to like our facebook page you can find us on twitter at studio break but probably the best way to stay in touch is on instagram at studio underscore break and now that we've wrapped announcements let's dive right into this episode with aaron radicke stay tuned Welcome to Studio Break, Aaron Radicke. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm excellent and super excited. You know, you're going to be here in a week with 46 paintings for your show, 46 years. So super excited to do this today. Awesome. Me too. I'm really excited about it. So <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited to see all the work. And, you know, again, we we're kind of reminiscing or talking, I guess, reminiscing, but we met exclusively through Instagram. So super excited to bring this all together. But my first question has to be immediately because people ask me and I go, I don't know. Where are you from? I'm originally from the Midwest. I'm originally from Southern Indiana and I grew up there. Yeah. The first time I moved away, I hadn't moved a house. We lived in the same house for 18 years and then I moved away to college. So to Indiana University. <laughs> and you're currently in in Maryland, a suburb of Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Because people ask me and I'm like, the East Coast? You know? Yeah. Um, so interesting. You know, maybe there's that Midwestern, you know, thing that we can all kind of recognize. I don't know what it is about Midwesterners. Absolutely. So always interested to kind of learn people's backgrounds and especially yours. So what, what type of uh, things were you doing as a, a young kid? Did you kind of grow up stuck in the side of a sketchbook or... I don't know. <laughs> Actually, it's quite interesting. I had a quite a interesting childhood. I come from a family of accountants. Um, my mom is an accountant. My dad is a CPA. My sister is a CPA. And my brother is a CPA and a lawyer. So, <laughs> and I'm the middle child. But no, I feel like I came to art and painting in a very kind of 
honest kind of organic way, but um, long story short, I had a very traumatic childhood and I found that art was a way to kind of another language that I could learn and observational painting is very important. Um, when I grew up, a lot of words didn't kind of agree with actions. Yeah, they just didn't connect. And so I found that I started journaling to kind of make sense of things and to document conversations or whatever. So I'd kind of stay sane. And then I went to Indiana University and took a couple art classes. I took a painting class and it was all about observation. And I thought this is kind of a manifestation, a visual manifestation of exactly what I was doing my whole life. And so it was really exciting. And I Remember, it was kind of I was standing on the third floor studio painting classroom. And I remember thinking, here's a language that maybe I can learn and speak to some of this craziness and, and other experiences that I had growing up. And is this specifically like as an undergrad or is this before all of undergrad. that? Undergrad. Okay, well, okay. undergrad is when it really came together, but I always enjoyed art. It was an expression. It was an outlet. It was something physical, you know, that I could hold and depend on unlike an idea that could just be fleeting and, and could kind of scurry away and then not be remembered by another person. But it was interesting. My high school experience of art was a 180 from my college experience. Well, what was that like? You know, I ask this all the time, but it's like, it's so vastly different. Like now there's probably like iPads in every classroom, 3D printers. What kind of things were you, were you doing and what kind of materials? And yeah, yeah. Yeah, temper paint. <laughs> when we got lucky, we maybe had some acrylic paint, but no pencil, color pencil, Crayola color pencils. I went to a Catholic high school and we had the local watercolorist was the um, teacher. And in the show, you'll see some of the projects we had. One was to do our interpretation of rapture. So that was an assignment based on the book of Revelation. <laughs> And then I went to um, an undergrad. My professor was a student of Joseph Albers at Yale. So it was a very, very stark contrast. So instead of like doing an interpretation of hell and heaven, I was doing how do you make three colors into four or how do you make, you know, two colors into three. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was very a stark contrast. I was very excited. And also the stark contrast between growing up in a very conservative kind of homogenous, non-diverse town going to Indiana University, where I quickly learned that not everybody was from Indiana that went to that mm -hmm. school. So that was very exciting too. Well, was it an easy choice then in terms of like pursuing that? It's usually, it's usually not, you know, usually, again, I usually joke about this now, but I mean, like now I'm sure most students want to be animators that I have, you know, plenty of students that want to do that. But was it something with a family of accountants essentially, where it's like, what are you doing? I think I was always um, a little bit different and kind of as a middle child, you have to make yourself known a little bit, but also I feel like it was kind of a, this sounds really dramatic, but um, kind of a life changing and life saving thing is to go into art because again, things in my head was so, I mean, there was a lot of racing thoughts and things just didn't make sense and go together. And finally, I think painting from observation, again, it was something stable, secure, I could count on it. I would mix a color, put it on the canvas and it would be there the next day. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was a stability there and a grounding there and working from observation too. One thing I want to say, I, I do remember choosing classes and I kind of I snuck in an art class in the middle of like American history and calculus and all of this stuff because I knew those were kind of the approved classes to take. But I remember thinking I'm going to take an art class and I took 18 hours in order to fit that in. And I remember thinking I'm going to take this class and I did really well in it. And I thought I'm going to take another class, but as soon I'm going to stop taking them as soon as you know, I am not very good in it or as soon as I'm kind of found out. And mm -hmm. so I kept taking them and I took painting classes and then got into the BFA program and yeah, kept painting. So, but I think a little bit, not to put words into my family's mouth or a friend's mouth or whatever, but sometimes I think maybe they thought it was just a phase that I'd go through. And mm -hmm. it's a phase that's been going on for like 25 years. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, and that can happen in college too. You know, I mean, I certainly changed majors. I think I was an art education major at first. Interesting. And then I did so poorly that I was like, I'm going to drop out of college. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's lots of highs and lows, I guess, in that, that first start. 
what was that experience that you're kind of describing or maybe talking about in terms of those first art classes that might have shifted your focus? I know that you mentioned, you know, Joseph Albers and I would imagine then maybe there was just a different way to kind of look at things that you hadn't been shown before. Absolutely. I think, I mean, in the Albers, of course, there's more of a science to it, but I think it was so exhilarating. I mean, to have, we had color aid paper, which is, you know, this fancy paper, you have like 220 colors of all this varying chromas and values and saturations and stuff. But, you know, the whole idea of you take these strips and you have three colors and depending what the background is, you, it changes. And so that, I mean, it sounds maybe simple or silly, but it just, I got so excited. I would go home on the weekends and be like, look, mom and dad, look, you know, this gray appears pink and then it appears green, you know, depending what it's next to. Can you believe they're <laughs> the same colors? And I think even now that surprise and that idea that you have this material, you have these paint blobs on the, on the palette and how you mix them and how you apply them on the canvas this whole thing emerges, you know, it's like you are the creator, which is kind of interesting thinking about religion. So, mm -hmm. you know, I become the creator almost. And then I think there's something reassuring that it's a kind of a collaboration between the setup or the landscaper, you know, whatever it is I'm looking at and mm -hmm. myself. Also, I find with observational painting, you have to strip away all your assumptions of a white object. You don't just use white paint or, you know, mm -hmm. a red object. There might be violets or greens in there. And, it, and it's the same way meeting people. You have to kind of take away your assumptions of in order to really get to know that person in an honest way, I feel. Sure. And I would imagine it sounds like a very traditional kind of approach in terms of learning skills and things like that. Was that all new then? Were you exposed to, you know, you're describing you know, maybe some of your earlier art projects, were you kind of going to museums when you were younger or is this all coming? Not at all. Okay. Were there yeah, people that was... stand out early on that you're like, oh my gosh. Well, yeah, no, it's funny. <laughs> I actually have, and I did a painting of it. I found my old, it was a questionnaire that we had to do for drawing class. And I think I said something about sometimes, you know, I don't understand how just a line could be art. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. in high school and stuff, my idea of a great artist was how close to realism could you get mm -hmm. and how tight and detailed. And I kind of hate the word detailed, but how, yeah, how tight and detailed could you get? And um, now and undergrad, but especially grad school, too, and just being kind of on my own, that whole idea of what is great art or what is successful or what kind of reverberates or whatever in me, it's it's definitely really has expanded. Was there something that sticks out? What if I go think of like that first painting that you're like, wow, like I did this. Okay. This, I remember painting empty pickle jars. I used to eat a lot of pickles, dill pickles. <laughs> but anyway, no, I had these glass jars and I remember setting them up and I thought, can I paint these? And I actually got them to look, I mean, it was a little crude, but I got them to look like you could see through. And that was that was amazing. That was really exciting. So um, that's probably, that painting is probably the one that got me even more excited about painting for sure. And were you kind of then exploring a lot of different subjects in terms of painting, like landscape and still life and portraits or? Mainly still life and figure and portraits in particular. So um, I didn't go out in the landscape until I graduated in 2000, started painting in 1997 and didn't go out to the landscape until 2003. So that was really intimidating. But no, in undergrad, the um, still life is very traditional. So, you know, you have a vase of flowers or you have you have a cylindrical form or something or it's a traditional self-portrait. And I guess also to go back to that other question for a minute is I remember, again, it was in 2003. And so I thought, what happens if I paint a McDonald's hamburger? And that opened up a lot because then it was like, it doesn't have to stay with something beautiful, inherently beautiful that's around forever. It can be something very ephemeral and seen as, you know, lowly food. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> or almost food or whatever a McDonald's hamburger is. But it also, it triggered a memory that I had growing up. So that was exciting. I could tell a story and use an object that wasn't considered maybe a traditional still life object. Mm -hmm. And I know that we kind of talked about maybe artwork that's a little bit more challenging or something where you're like, maybe this isn't my thing, but who did you look at that was really kind of like I guess, you know, bring those ideas up or or maybe thinking about like, 
again, what painting could be. Cause again, we kind of all get caught up in our head about like what something is. And I, you know, even the way that you were kind of talking about your relationship with working observationally, that's what's so exciting about it to me is that it kind of opens you up to, to new things, but were there artists that you were being exposed to that you were like, Oh, wow. You know, this is amazing. It's funny in undergrad, I have to say, not really, maybe in an art history <laughs> class, but it's very traditional. I think Indiana University has changed some. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it has since the 90s. You know, critiques were, did you get the ellipse correct? Or mm. did you get the proportions correct? Is the nose in the right place? I would have to say who's he is not an abstract painter, or he was not an abstract painter, but Fairfield Porter, I would say, is the one that got me thinking more about paint. Because And he's the one that gave me license because I used to be a very intimidated, kind of scared painter in terms of getting things wrong as if there's a right and a wrong. But yeah, he's the one that I would notice his drawings were a little clunky or things were a little off. The perspective was a little off or whatever it was, but I realized it was this color that was right on and that got me excited. And I think that's what got me excited about just having a relationship with color, maybe or a reaction to color, which can then go into something like, you know, I guess I'm a big Rothko fan too. I mean, that kind of stays in the same range of color and and um, value and stuff. But I guess in terms of having an experience with a painting was very different than saying, maybe labeling the objects or seeing how, I mean, I feel like a representational painting can be very satisfying in terms of still the drawing being executed well, but also the color having a relationship, which can be in, again, observational painting, of course, and abstract painting. So, And was there kind of like a, a thesis or anything like that? Or was it very much just analytical, like you made a good painting and we're going to hang a couple of these up for the seniors that are graduating kind of thing? Or I think in undergrad, that was that was a little bit more what it was at the time. It was you know, is it an ambitious painting? Have you pushed yourself, which was a lot with scale. So, you know, we were encouraged to work really large. So yeah, it was more, I think, technical, like, does the drawing work? Again, do things make sense visually in a traditional sense? My experience in grad school was quite different. And I don't know if I can go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, so did you go right away to graduate school or did you take a break or? Graduated from undergrad and then I moved back home to Southern Indiana, which was a challenging year. And then I applied to graduate schools and I remember I had an interview at Yale and I got through the first the first cut and I went up there and it's funny because this goes into the question that you asked before a little bit. They asked me what contemporary artist I looked at and I should not admit to this, but I am. I said, when John and they said any living artists like Alex Katz or something. And I like I blew it. You know, I knew I wasn't mm -hmm. going to I wouldn't have been ready for it anyway. <laughs> But that kind of speaks to my undergrad again. We didn't really look at too many, maybe Leonard Anderson we would look at. But so going back to my kind of how it worked, I took leave of absence and then I applied to grad schools and I did not get into Yale, but I got into American University and I went there and I moved there about two, three weeks before September 11th happened in 2001. And looking back, it was an intense year. And I mean, I definitely wasn't ready for graduate school. It was more a ticket out of Indiana. And so that's what I was looking for. I mean, now reflecting back, but um, it was an intense year. I mean, almost having a mental breakdown. So I took a leave of absence after the first year. I got married. And so my husband and I moved out to West Virginia because he used to do letterpress printing in, in Washington. And they moved the production site out to a little town in West Virginia. And we could afford a house and I could paint full time. We moved out there. And then I took a class with Mark Carnes at MICA um, in 2003. That's when I went out to the landscape for the first time. And I felt what I was really craving for my first year in grad school was still learning to how to communicate and learning the language of paint. I, I went to that class for a year and then I continued to paint and then had a, my first child in 2007 and realized all my friends were getting their MFAs and teaching. And I thought I want to get my MFA. So I applied again to American University and they said I could use my first year. So my first year was 2001, 2002. And then I, my second year was 2008, 2009. So that's a long answer, but that's, sure, it got broken sure. up by seven years. <laughs> well, but I would imagine then too, though, kind of not having some experience. And I say this in all sincerity, like in my undergrad, it was like, oh my, you know, all about that. Who are you reading? Who are you, you know, have this, have these grand ideas behind your work. And when you get to graduate school, if you've had any kind of 
trajectory, it's like, throw all that out. So I would imagine maybe you're in a spot where it's much easier because you're not beholden to, you know, a portrait necessarily. I mean, you can kind of like, what can I do with these paintings to communicate something? I would, I would think maybe that was off to the races kind of moment. <laughs> it's funny when I, my second year in grad school was really, I think the most critical year. And I was, I quickly learned that the program had changed and I was one of the only painters. And I remember my first critique, my professor said, why are you here? And stop looking at Anne Gale. <laughs> I had to really think about, and the whole, I, I guess, ideas behind the work and why, why do I paint? We're an undergrad and the class with Mark Carnes, it was more, we're all painters. So let's learn the language. And here it was, it's a broader language out here that doesn't just include observational painting. And like you said, you know, reading theory and essays and all of this stuff, which I was very uncomfortable with, but I think it gave me all the more kind of conviction in painting from observation and painting the still life, which is kind of the lowly um, genre of painting. Instead of feeling free, I think I felt it's a strong word, but a little bit of mm -hmm. attacked mm -hmm. and very insecure and thinking, what, what the hell am I doing? Sure, sure. <laughs> Well, and again, maybe I'm being overly zealous and like, oh my no. gosh, there's no, there's no hangups. Like, yeah, I, I make, you know, goth portraits or something, right, you know, right. or some, some weird kind of thing that people kind of get caught up in. When did you start approaching work or making some work that you kind of recognize it was maybe elevated from where you were previously? Probably in my second year in graduate school. I Looking back, it was really tough, but it was really important. And I think while it was there, I think all along, um, even in undergrad, but I had to be thinking about why am I painting certain objects or what is the relationship between the setup and myself? What am I communicating? And I think I got a little heavy handed and in terms of kind of the idea behind, because I worked exclusively with still life. And so trying to tell a story, but I think I did get a little heavy handed. I guess the saying it's the whole kitchen, everything in the kitchen sink or everything but the kitchen sink, whatever that saying is, I was putting everything into one painting and mm -hmm. it was just, it was too, it was too much and it felt too forceful. But I guess in some ways you have to go, it's kind of the pendulum swings both ways. So I guess kind of an undergrad, I was like, oh, this could be a beautiful <laughs> tea kettle, you know, and then it went to, you know, this idea of speaking about, I don't know, this really traumatic experience, which, yeah, maybe there's a way to, I don't have to give the viewer everything and I can approach it different ways. It doesn't have to just be through objects. It can be through composition or through each painting doesn't have to hold the whole story, if that makes sense. And, and were you like kind of starting then to take a lot more ownership of like the types of things that you were painting and what you're choosing, maybe, maybe talk a little bit about those. And obviously, yeah. you know, we want to spend lots of time, you know, talking about your current work. And I would just kind of remind yeah. everybody, you can go check out work at AaronRadicke.com and there's plenty of stuff there, Instagram as well. But yeah, in that grad school period, maybe what were those subjects that started to kind of unlock themselves, I guess, as you're picking in. Yeah. Um, I, I know one thing my professor would talk about is how do you make it contemporary? And he would talk about kind of class and like the middle class and which I very much am. So he would be talking about what references those things. And so, you know, I would think about, oh, you know, the food we eat or the brands that we dress in or things like that. But then I remember feeling kind of rebelling or rebellious. And for my thesis show, I did a very big painting, maybe five foot by five foot, which for some that's not big, but it was big for me. And I did it with laundry. I, it's a laundry basket and laundry all over the floor. And I actually set it up in my studio and um, I brought a rug. It's a, I'm looking down at the floor, so there's no horizon line or anything, but it's just a mess. And it's something I remember thinking, this is something so mundane as laundry. Everybody has to do it, um, usually, <laughs> unless you're lucky, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's very mundane. And how can I elevate it to a monumental level? Or that's kind of the thought I was thinking that, you know, this is not a lowly still life that's small and will be tucked in the corner. It will be this large still life in the middle of the wall that speaks to something very mundane. And there's something beautiful in the overlooked, I feel. And that's, I think, what a lot of the work is a theme in a lot of my work when I think about it is kind of the overlooked, the meaning that's inherent in that and can be found in that. Yeah. And I'm curious, were there any like 
you know, technical things that maybe we can dork out on for lack of better words. Yeah. You know, I say that because, you know, we were talking earlier about Joe Morzik and, you know, that's kind of one of the people that I think of when I think of still life painting, because I also get to see a lot of that in process, you know, studying, studying with him, sharing studio space and whatnot. But I mean, there'd be like, you know, massive, you know, plumb lines and all sorts of stuff. Did you have like a bunch of stuff like that going to kind of think about like composition and scale of this laundry pile? I definitely, I would, and this is how I used to do it. I'm much more relaxed about it now. I would tape off my feet and tape off where, you know, I was standing. And so, and I'd wear the same shoes. So I'm the same height that I always <laughs> am. And I'm in the same position. So my, you know, vanishing point and, and verticals and horizontals, they're all the same every time I paint. And so and the light had to be the same. So I painted from like 10 to two every day because it was kind of midday light. So that was always, you know, what I did. I never got to the point of plumb lines or working off a grid, but drawing and getting the drawing as accurate as I could, which I'm not good at measuring that I've discovered because things would not line up like I wanted them to line up. But now I just kind of <laughs> fudge it a little bit. <laughs> but um, No, but it was very, very precise. It did slow me down. And I've realized now the accuracy in the drawing is not as important to me as the accuracy in the color and the feeling of the setup or the landscape or whatever it is. And something to think about too, that we haven't really talked much about, you know, obviously, you know, on your site, there's a, a whole drawing category. I'm assuming that that's something that kind of sits in tandem with what you're working on in terms of paint. So maybe mm -hmm. talk a little about that. Are you, are you a sketchbook person? Do you go everywhere and you're on a bus you know, sketching wish. the back heads and stuff? And <laughs> I really wish I was. That's something I'm not, I never have been. I've tried. I'm not, but I wish that's something I wish I did. And I guess the drawing is funny. I, I had to draw in undergrad and even in grad school, we had a drawing class, but it was much more conceptual. You know, drawing could be anything. It mm -hmm. doesn't have to be pencil and paper, but I actually, I would always say I don't draw. I just paint. That's all I do. And then I was up in our attic probably about four or five years ago. And I saw this whole stack of drawings that I did. And I was like, you know what? I guess I did draw, which that sounds very stupid, but I just <laughs> put it out of my memory. But I always draw with powdered graphite, which is very much like painting. And um, I'm actually, to confess, I'm scared of line. I'm scared of contour because I feel like you have to commit. While I'm in a very committed relationship, I've been married for 21 years. I can't commit to line on a drawing. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to have value, you know, pushing value up to value and um, tone up against tone, but it's something that I can, it can stay open until the end. I love contour drawings, but that's something I don't do. So I guess my drawings are very painterly and yeah, because I think my love is paint and color. So, um, and atmosphere too, I think. So were you doing like any preparatory kind of drawing for any of the stuff or is just kind of like another medium that you would think of as painting essentially. Yeah, exactly. I don't do preparatory drawings. I don't, I don't do thumbnail sketches. I don't even do under drawings on the canvas before I do a painting with portraits. It's the same. I just kind of dive in. I don't know if it's because I'm impatient or I'm just so eager to get to the color mm -hmm. and the, the paint, the kind of luscious paint. So yeah, I get, I just dive in. Well, so tell us what happened after that. No, after graduate school, I graduated and immediately had a huge painting block. And I don't know if you or anybody out there have had a painting block, but they're awful. I've had two and it's like, I'm not going to paint again. It's like you lose an arm or something. It's awful. You know, graduated from grad school and here I am. I go from living in West Virginia and having this beautiful house with interiors, very inspiring and then, you know, having a studio at um, American, which I had to be, I had to work. I was forced to. <laughs> so yeah, I had a painting block after I graduated. And um, because we were in this apartment that was, you know, tan carpet, tan walls, view out to the parking lot, there was nothing inspiring. And I found the answer to that was going to pattern and creating almost, that was my interior, was creating a lot of my still lifes for a few years. I would take some sort of pattern cloth and then set the objects onto the patterns. And so I kind of had a whole, almost like a house full of patterns that I would go to and set the objects on top. That served me, gave me a way to enter into the still life again and enter into painting again. And I did that for a long time. And then thought, is this becoming a little formulaic? 
And actually it feeds into, I've done a series of cloth paintings, which are all from life. And that came out of, I was working on a still life and this cloth that I wanted to use was halfway cut. And I got really upset with myself. I'm like, why did I cut it, you know, three years ago? And, but I thought, let me paint the cut. And so I did. And then I realized what happens if I paint a painting just based on the cut? And so that led into, yeah, these cloth paintings with a different pattern. And just like exploring a space, I thought, instead of a deep space, can I do a shallow space? Can I use these two objects and boil it down to just two objects, two pieces of cloth? And maybe instead, again, like a deep space, can I do a shallow space that's only half inch or deep or even a centimeter deep? Can I do that? And then thinking even about like, you know, the abstract painters that we were kind of touching on before the notion of abstract painting, you know, really loving, you know, like a mother well or something, these, you know, really gestural kind of almost violent marks, but I'm such a controlled nuanced painter and that I haven't allowed myself to kind of let go of that control completely. So I found a way to enter into that a little bit. I would get, I would manipulate the cloth in such a way that I could do the gestures on the cloth and then paint it in a controlled way. So that's where the cloth paintings kind of originated from. Well, and again, it's interesting because, you know, we've talked a little bit about the importance of objects and, you know, the every day, you know, and so a lot of these cloth paintings, and again, there's a, there's a pretty decent archive of some of these, some of them are more current. Some of them go back to like, there's one from 2015 called mm -hmm. cover. Um, yeah, that was the first I, one. And I do have it up because I love kind of breaking these things down, but, you know, maybe, and I'm sure things have changed, but maybe talk a little bit about like the, the process that might be about. So again, no preliminary drawing. Are you just starting with kind of like generating those basic shapes and then building off of that? Are you scraping? Are you, I don't know what your habits are. I know, like, again, yeah. you don't like straight lines. I'm probably the opposite in some ways. Like I need solid <laughs> shapes or something, Right. but how does, how does that go? With that particular painting, there's like a scarlet background and then this kind of worn cloth on top. And and at that point, too, in the work, I began, I wanted to have a relationship with the objects. So it wasn't just going to Joanne's fabric and picking out a fabric that I liked the color of the pattern. It became having a relationship with it. And that's actually a pattern that is from a sheet, a pillowcase that my parents got on their wedding in 1972 and I slept on it a lot. And so I have, it really evokes a lot of emotion and memories and stuff in, in me. And so when I approached that, I would put down the scarlet and then put down a neutral. And so I kind of key the painting, just like I do a portrait, I'll key the painting with the kind of most intense chromatic color. And then I'll go and relate the neutrals off that to keep the neutrals kind of alive. And so it's a conversation within the painting. I kind of see what strikes me first. And then I want to see what that color or what that shape it can have a conversation with, you know, within the painting. Because I want it all to, it's like a dinner party or something. You don't want someone just sitting there outside of the conversation. I want to make sure everybody, you know, there's certain maybe talkers. <laughs> <laughs> in a conversation that might take more of the attention, but you want to make sure everybody's engaged. So maybe that's the, I want the painting to be completely engaged, a solid painting, but there are going to be areas that it become more important. And I think that's how I kind of approach the process of the painting. I don't know if that makes sense, but it becomes a relationship of colors versus the drawing, I think is how I see it. No, that makes sense. I mean, I think one of the first things that I kind of think about with that one is you kind of get that sense of age through the color. Mm -hmm. Good. And then on the, on, you know, by contrast, there's other ones like, like Terra 5, for example, which seems like, but again, the, the colors are a lot more vibrant, which makes me start thinking about something that might be much newer or something that maybe is more artificial. But I know, again, that as we kind of go through these different iterations of different fabric paintings, they all kind of come back to that idea of maybe trying to capture again, that kind of color relative to the way that you would see it. And I know that sounds very obvious maybe to uh, somebody that isn't in this world, but like, I think that part's really interesting because it's not, you know, overblown color just for the sake of it. It's probably got that rich saturation versus something that's dull, like a hand towel that's been sitting around for 10 years, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's a great question. I think, I mean, another thing to say, they're all set up in real life. So it's not just invented color and relying on color theory that I've learned or something. 
it's a lot of sensitive observation. And those studies, I mean, they're paintings, but they're kind of studies, they're studies in composition as well, color, but it's, it's trickier. And I think, as you know, as a painter, it's not just a color out of the tube. You have to get these colors to work with each other. And colors, like my professor in undergrad said, colors are not your friend. They change depending who they're next to. <laughs> so that's a whole another kind of can of worms that you're working with. You mix the color in your palette, you put it down, it changes. So there's a lot of kind of inherent problems or challenges in some of those paintings that might look pretty straightforward. And are you pretty singular when it comes to like when you're working on this one thing or do you have like five easels set up throughout the house? That's another good question. I used to be very singular. I would start a painting and see it through. And now I have several paintings going on at the same time. So, you know, uh, and like for this show, I have these little four by six kind of photograph size paintings going on while, you know, maybe having a portrait going on or a, a landscape. Again, the paintings have a conversation with each other. So yeah, lots of conversations happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it's going to be super interesting to to see all of those, but, you know, again, coming back to the, the, you know, way that you kind of work and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, you know, obviously you've got these, these cloth paintings, but then, you know, if we revisit something like still life, which might've been done a very particular way at the start, you know, it seems like now then you're very much about like painting what's around you. I don't know that, are they all sentimental things or sometimes they just kind of studio debris and. This is how a painting usually starts because my paintings are very autobiographical. And that's another reason why I had this idea for the show. It's kind of like a visual memoir over these 46 years that I've lived. Something will trigger a memory or a experience that I've had, or even a sensation or something in terms of if I feel claustrophobic or feel stuck or something or feel whatever it is, and I'll start exploring. And it's a lot of kind of free association with the objects. So I'll put objects out. Everything's set up in the studio. Nothing's found. But the hope is that some of these look like they're just found. They're all speaking, yeah, to some sort of experience. And the objects, some of them are sentimental, but some of them are just, it's a color relationship that sparks something. Or it's something used from every day. I know I've painted lots of Starbucks cups <laughs> in the past. <laughs> So yeah, it's both from the everyday now and from the everyday in the past too. Well, and it's super interesting. It's like, as you were saying, I know that like in the drawings, there was a series of just cups. I mean, a whole bunch of cups Yeah. and I'm just going to randomly start, you know, picking stuff that, that yeah. jumps out to me. Um, but, you know, going into the still life category, you know, one way back from 2013, the party's over, I'm imagining might be remnants of like one of, one of your children's birthdays yeah. or something like that and it just yeah kind of looks like a mess I don't hopefully yeah. you just literally pick all that stuff up to your studio and yep. set it up or okay yeah but here's here's <laughs> I mean a little background because I feel like I mean everything everything has meaning you know mm -hmm. and some of it evolves over time and I kind of discover some of it I definitely know as I'm setting it up so here's a tangent my as I said earlier my whole family is basically in accounting tax season's April 15th the deadline. So I knew Christmas growing up was March was December 25th and tax season was deadline was April 15th. And my birthday is March 25th. It's right before tax season's over. So a lot of birthdays were, you know, you understand we didn't make you a cake or maybe we didn't wrap your presents or whatever. So it kind of felt forgotten. And so, um, and as a kid, I mean, not that I'm a demanding person, but it's nice to be celebrated on a day. So a lot of this, a lot of people have the misconception that they're about my children. I have three children, but they're really about my childhood and kind of a mourning of a loss. And it's always, there's never a figure in it. And it's usually the remnants. I like to think about it as just as I would have to sift through a conversation or sift through an experience as a kid to pick out the meaning. I kind of want that to be put on the viewer that you have to sift through these kind of forgotten objects, overlooked objects to maybe find some meaning. That particular painting, I was very excited about it. One of my daughters had a fairy party and I saved this Tinkerbell balloon. And I was thinking, why am I saving this? But I thought, why not paint it? And that painting, I was also thinking of Leonard Anderson. He taught my undergrad professor, Eve Mansdorf, and he did this beautiful painting of a Jiffy popcorn popper from like, from long ago. But it was this idea that it was something that you could throw away. And also the texture of it. So it was, it was a little bit of everything that I'm interested in, I guess. Yeah. Well, and again, it's it's just interesting because there's such big range to that. And also kind of thinking about it in the context of like, you know, we want to be looking through this lens, you know, your lens. 
or at least mm-hmm. in the sense of like, okay, these aren't just random things it might seem like that. Again, just jumping way back to there's there's one from the very top called 1993, which is of a notebook. Yeah. You know, some some lucky person has this uh, to enjoy somewhere. But again, you start then maybe for me kind of going then like, okay, what's in this? Like, is there time right. in this? Like what's stored in here to think about an object like that as opposed to then just something that's, you know, like, hey, this this cup is really blue and I like that blue. Right. So that's why right. I paint it. That becomes really kind of interesting. I'm curious, you know, like when we start kind of thinking about some of the other things that you paint, and I know that we've kind of alluded to, you know, some of the interiors, some of the landscapes. How do those maybe differ? Is it the same kind of thing? I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep talking if I don't get cut off. So I'm gonna let you jump Good. in there. <laughs> Good. Yeah, no, that's great. Um yeah, I, okay. I think they all do relate. I mean, they're painted differently different kind of mindsets, but they all weave together. At least I hope they do. Mm-hmm. So example, landscapes. I feel like my main goal is to get a feeling of the place. Is it a sunny day? Is it a cloudy day? Is it a is it summer? Is it fall? What time of day is it? What's the weather? What's the feeling like? Sort of painting the landscape is much more about kind of locating myself within my physical environment, which also a lot of interiors. I mean, there's never a figure in the interiors. They're very kind of alone. And there was a lot of aloneness growing up for sure. So kind of, I guess, thinking about that too. And there again, still trying to get a sense of the space and hopefully a feeling of the space. Then the still lifes, I feel like they're started with some sort of feeling, at least that's what the jumping off point is. I guess a lot, just wanting to evoke a feeling, I think in the viewer. And I think going back to grad school, I was too heavy handed with that. I wanted a specific feeling that everybody had and now I'm much more open with that and I wanted hopefully like that one painting we're talking about is a mead notebook and hopefully you know I have my associations with it and I know you know I can share that was when I that notebook was one of my first journals because I've written forever but maybe someone else will think about high school or think about college or think about elementary whatever it is mm-hmm. and so and that is part I've opened up because wanting hopefully there's an entrance in in many different ways you know, jumping into the landscape paintings for me, obviously, as somebody that is used to as a child anyways, like going around and even as an adult, good gosh, um, I'm I'm learning about the cost of homes where I live. There's yes. some insane places. But obviously, you know, as somebody that paints older suburban neighborhoods and kind of goes back to to thinking about things like that, that's something that I can certainly kind of relate to some of these, you know, paintings of backyards, exteriors and things like that. But one of the things that's really interesting to me is I'm looking at this one again, back from 2014 called Suburban Nature One. Yes. And there's this chunk that has this really vibrant green that starts to kind of really pop out. And it makes me think again about the space in some of your, your paintings. You know, like I think of a lot of these as being really packed in a, in a certain, dare I say, kind of more dimensional deep space, whereas like yeah. some of the, the still life paintings, I think of almost being a bit more flat, yeah. but that relationship is still there for both of them. You still find these pockets of things wanting to kind of flatten out. Yeah. And so that's really interesting to think about the relationship between those different bodies of work, because I think they all will kind of do that in different ways, I guess, or you yeah. know, to, to different levels. But is that something that that's super conscious or is that just like an extension of the way that you just naturally kind of work through like a landscape painting as opposed to another still life painting or it's too confusing and out there no, but... no, no. <laughs> I think I'm yeah no I think I'm following all that and I think that's a really interesting good question I'm not as conscious of space I think it's more intuitive with the landscape with the cloth paintings I was very much pushing that in terms of how again how shallow can I get <laughs> there's a painting on my website too that's it's a, just a series of townhomes, backs of townhomes. Mm-hmm. And there's no really, I think, is there a little space around it? I'm not sure. I think the space is a little bit more, or you can't go around. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the counter to that painting with the, hopefully you could see that the grass was mowed in a certain way. And mm-hmm. that was when we were living in a townhouse. Everything looked the same. Like maybe you'd have light blue siding or you'd have tan siding or you'd have gray siding. And I didn't enjoy living there very much, but I wanted to get that kind of monotonous quality of it. And just another little side note, I was thinking about the still life with that one of the backs of the townhomes. I was thinking of Mirandi and his bottles and the similarity of them. Mm -hmm. I feel like that painting kind of becomes a still life in some ways. 
Yeah. Well, again, it's just interesting to see the relationships of those things, you know, and, you know, something that's really exciting too, again, jumping back to the show is that like, it's going to have all of that. It's not just like, Hey, this person's got 46 landscapes or something like that. Right. So I like the way that we can kind of jump around from that to interior spaces. You know, before we started talking, one of the things that I had mentioned to you too, is like the way that I like how you kind of conceptualize a series of work. So I know there's another series, uh, Gen X, which I'm assuming mm-hmm. are all things that you're going to be associating with that. Maybe talk a little bit about then, I guess, 46 years in terms of the way that you kind of started you know, kind of framing that. And I guess one thing that I feel like we've neglected, uh, maybe even before we get that, is, you know, how the how the portraits and self-portraits fit in. I, it seems like a time marker, just straight up, like... Going back to several of those things, I think they all weave together again. The Gen X painting started, it, there was something that I had in the studio that triggered kind of these memories of, I'm an 80s, I'm a, I mean, obviously a Gen X kid. So. Mm-hmm. But I started working on those And then that led, I know you invited me to have a show at Studio Break, which I was very excited about and am very excited about. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about kind of the breadth of the work that I've done and thinking about turning 46 in March, which I just did. And then thinking about kind of what all stages I've gone through each year. And so I feel like kind of thinking about my childhood with those Gen X paintings led into thinking about more the whole expanse of my life. And so, and just like the Gen X paintings, as I did them, I wanted them all the size of photographs. So like eight by 10, five by seven, four by six, three and a half by five. Was this another size from the eighties? I remember. So that was important to me. And then thinking about that and thinking about kind of the visual narrative. So I set certain parameters for this show coming up the 46th show And so I knew I wanted everything the same. I wanted them all the same size of photographs, uh, which four by six. So that's all a constant. Thinking about each year and thinking either about, yes, some of them can be objects, but most of them, again, it goes back to evoking a feeling and referencing maybe a certain memory or referencing a certain theme of the year. There's a couple of portraits in there, including a portrait of a self-portrait from when I was like eight or nine. (laughs) Mm -hmm. when when I was like 12 and so I'm referencing those a little bit but the self-portraits they kind of serve as a place to kind of take a break take a breath from other work and still a study of form a pushing of color and yeah I guess a recording like you were saying of time but yeah now there's wrinkles to contend with (laughs) there is something about self-portraits I think that really do kind of force you to re-examine something and and they're super challenging in that regards and totally makes sense to me relative to the other things that we've been talking about with the other other work that yeah. you do. Yeah. You know, this could be a kind of an interesting segue into even some uh color palette decisions because that's something that we also talked about tangentially. So is it very particular then for like portraiture work versus something else where you kind of remove things and That's a good question. I used to have a portrait palette that was all pretty much earth tones, except for like a cadmium red or something. And I would always turn to that. And some of those colors weren't on my usual palette. And then I did this, it's, I did it in 2015. I hadn't worked on a, I hadn't done a self-portrait in like five or six years. And I thought, what happens if I do a portrait with my expansive palette that I have and treat it like a still life in terms of don't limit it to just this portrait palette. And that was very exciting. So now it's kind of full circle. I've gone back to more of a portrait palette. I don't bring in any new colors. I mean, I have my set palette and I don't bring in any new colors with the portrait, but I take away colors. So I take away the blues and I take away the yellows. And so, which are two primary colors, but um, I make optical yellows and optical blues, but they're all out of like thick green, acridone red, cadmium orange, which kind of serves as a yellow. But um, mm-hmm. so yeah, there's no earth tones on that, which is really quite exhilarating. At least, I mean, again, I'm kind of a color nerd. So, so it's neat to see the expanse and what thalo, I mean, thalo green and cadmium orange is your yellow ochre, which is quite beautiful. So yeah, that's been, that's been quite fun and, and yeah, so an interesting kind of adventure. Is there something too about just kind of like limiting allows you to kind of get to those colors a lot easier or to control them for a lot? Good gosh, control them. (laughs) I know. I know. Yeah. How do you control phthalo green? Phthalo green is like my best friend now though. I used to be terrified of it. I think actually limiting the palette like that, it helps me learn more about the potential of a color, if that makes sense. So I learn that the subtleties and what the inherent properties of 
these colors are. I'm getting to know them really, really well, rather than bringing in another color that could maybe get me there quicker. But actually, I'm getting quite quick at getting to the colors with that palette. Yeah, it's just getting to know somebody, getting to know the colors, I guess, which sounds cheesy, but um, the potential of it is just great. I think it's super interesting. I mean, again, I uh, feel bad because I can't remember who the artist was, but I just okay. opened up a, a New American Painting catalog once, and this you know person had painted like essentially like a machine shop with like all sorts of screws and all sorts of like tools and stuff like that. And in the artist statement, it was like, I've got a yellow, a blue, a red, and a white. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow. Like, because the, the range was so gigantic. And so yeah. for whatever reason, and this kind of even goes back to my painting one teacher in terms of thinking about warm and cools, I kind of yeah. have everything kind of broken down to like primaries that are, you know, warm and cool, essentially. Yeah. So there's something interesting to me about that. And even kind of like we were talking about earlier by not having a green, which is yeah. kind of hilarious for somebody that has recently been painting landscapes. There's something right. interesting about, you know, those formulas that you're coming up with, yeah. or those color relationships that you start seeing as, you know, in the landscape as colors like blue out or you right. know, kind of so specific. So, you know, again, I, you know, obviously really respond to that idea of exploring color in your, in your work yeah. and, and thinking about these nuances that, you know, again, make it go beyond something that's just a portrait of something or right. a still life. Tell us a little bit more about some of the paintings that are going to be in this, in this show coming up. Are there ones where you're thinking about like a, a year where you can't come up with them? Like, how do you, even that process, <laughs> is that something where you're just journaling and you're like, all right, I remember three, this is what happened. I remember right. these right. candles being blown out or whatever. Right. It might be interesting to know. They're going to be hung chronologically. I didn't paint them chronologically. I did take one of my sketchbooks or one of my journals. I shouldn't say sketchbook because I don't sketch. <laughs> <laughs> I did all the years. I wrote down each year from 1977 through 2023. And um, there are certain years that really stood out. And actually, that's funny with the candle. My fourth birthday is when I had one of my first memories. And so I knew what I wanted to do for that. I'm actually, I'm trying to think what the first painting was. It was a red and white checked cloth with a black background. And that's a study of both a memory that I had and kind of this problem I set out. I kind of set myself up with problems sometimes. And so I try, at least what I attempted to do is have a black background that was pure black that you couldn't really, you could maybe seep into the black, but there wasn't a space. But the red and white checked kind of picnic blanket cloth, there was a, definitely a plane, a planar shift. And so I was thinking that kind of suggesting and then negating, which goes back to my childhood too. But it, I do have a memory. I mean, real quick, it might be interesting. Um, I remember sitting in the car coloring a coloring book and um, when I was five, so that was 1982. And I remember seeing this, it was like Braggedy Ann and Andy, there was a image of them sitting on a picnic blanket. And I was so excited because I could color it red and white and it felt secure. It felt like it was going in perspective. And usually I feel like coloring books don't have perspective and this did. So that got me really excited. So that was the start of the whole series. And so kind of bouncing around from one to the next. Yeah. Well, and obviously, you know, we'll be showing all these, we'll be, you know, previewing them along with this, you know, podcast and this, you know, show that's coming out. One thing that I was going to say real quick too, some of the objects come, they're just objects from like, I didn't have a memory obviously as an infant. The one thing that is very interesting and I'm excited to see them all laid out is so interesting that, and this wasn't conscious, almost all the childhood paintings have a black background. And I think that's very interesting given my past. There's kind of a void in this black void. And um, it's exciting to see them get more and more alive as they go on. So um, there's a trajectory more of life kind of emerging, which is very hopeful to me. Yeah. And it's especially interesting, too, because, you know, there's 46 of these. I know that I will say that to anybody like, isn't it great to get your work out of the studio? But this yeah. will be kind of a, a different experience to see them all up, you know, because it's not just you know, a series of, you know, paintings that are, I don't know, very singular or about right. just one instance, this kind of expands and explores a bunch of different instances, brings them together. Yeah. So again, it'll, it'll be really, really fun to kind of see it all up when it's, when it's in that mode. So, Absolutely. well, you know, before we kind of wrap everything up, I'm just kind of curious, what other things have you got going on? I think you're, you're teaching some workshops and, and other things like that. Where can people 
you know, make sure that they're staying up to date about opportunities to, to study with you and things like that? Yeah, I try to put things on um, my website, but I'm also on Instagram. I'll be showing at a gallery, Dwell Fine Art and Craft in um, Hume, Virginia this fall. Next year, I'll be going to Tavira Portugal again, which I co-teach with Matt Close. And that was a fabulous time. Yeah, so I don't, I mean, I don't teach at a college or anything. I guess follow me on Instagram. That's that's where the best place is to get the news. And I will be teaching a workshop at Black Pond too, a portrait painting workshop. Um, yeah, that September. sounds sounds really, really fun. Um, yeah. And again, it's it, it'll it's interesting to think about, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you know, in some ways, I think like the pandemic opened those doors up a little bit. So Absolutely. there's this really kind of cool way. Is that all already full, that that workshop? No, the Black Pond still has room. I am teaching a workshop in Maine that is full, but um, but yeah, the Black Pond workshop is open. Um, there's still some spots, and for next spring, the one in Portugal, we're just we're going to be advertising that soon. Matt Close and I. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, well, and again, it just seems interesting, kind of skimming it over. Rather, you know, it's like you know five days. It sounds like it could be pretty you know intensive in terms of like you've got you know all these meeting times and you know it seems like again a really unique way to kind of learn from somebody you know and again something so different than you know i always think about this interview slash discussion format being so different from you know reading in a textbook so i mean again the opportunity to kind of like is that the kind of red you're thinking about or what do you no, what, what should i do to this you know so that seems yeah. really fun no, I think, and I'm really excited about that portrait class because, um, again, we'll be using my palette, which is, you know, not a traditional palette, but hopefully still getting that sensitivity and nuance, but just in a greater range. So that's that's quite exciting to me, and I'm excited to share it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, again, just, just remember, you know, if you want to see the exhibition, it'll be opening July 22nd from 5 to 8, come out. You know, you can come see all these paintings in their glory and, uh, you know, have some good conversations. So, you know, come out for that. If you need information, obviously, you can go to, you know, the website. Again, I want to thank you for for taking the time. I know you're kind of probably getting all these things wrapped to, to come out here. But again, thanks for taking the time. It's been, you know, really great talking to you and, and learning more about your work and can't wait to have this show up. Yeah, no, me too. And thanks for having me and I'm excited about the show. Thanks once again to Aaron for joining me, and please come check out the exhibition 46 Years that opens at Studio Break Gallery in West Chicago on Saturday, July 22nd from 5 to 8 p.m. Once again, if you are unable to make that opening, there will be some alternate dates they can check out, so be sure to stay tuned. Of course, if you want to see all the works that are in the show available for purchase, you can head on over to studiobreak.com and look under the gallery tab, and you can see all of them digitally. And of course, interested parties can send a DM and we've got a whole PDF list of everything so you can check out all the great stuff that's in there. You can also check out more work by visiting Aaron's website, AaronRadicke.com. And of course, be sure to follow on Instagram to stay up to date with all the great work, workshops, all sorts of stuff. As always, if you're joining us for the first time, head on over to studiobreak.com, look through the archive. We've got 293 episodes now with tons of different artists. They come on, they talk about their work. You can find links to their websites, examples of their work. You can listen right there on Studio Break, or you could click those links and subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. I do prefer Spotify as it provides a great image preview of the artist that's in the episodes. That's a great place to check it out. Of course, if you enjoy it, please rate it share it we really appreciate it it also earns you some karma points especially in the studio and i know that helps out music for today's episode is by golden shadow which is myself ben cohan and brett beery you can follow us at golden shadow band we did put out an ep last year in 2022 that's available in our links so you can check that out and of course you can see some paintings by ben cohan at m ben cohan studio you can also follow brett beery on instagram at brett beery he makes a number of albums that are available through Bandcamp, so check that out and if you checked out studio break before you know that all of my work is available through the same website it's all kind of put together there for your convenience so check out some paintings there you can also find me at david linaway on twitter instagram and facebook be sure to say hello it's always great here from listeners and you can always do that too with a shout out or through at studio underscore break as well which reminds me be sure to follow us on social media you can find us on facebook so like our page there you can follow us on twitter at studio break and of course the best way is at studio underscore break on instagram 
as always, it's a delight to kind of bring you these artists that talk so intimately about their work and process and practice. So I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Please let us know if you did. And of course, hope everybody's staying healthy, safe out there, productive in the studio. We'll talk to you real soon.